Hello and welcome back to the Quacked Out Podcast. I am Charlie Folkstead, joined as always by Reed Tingley. How you doing, Reed? Doing pretty well, Charlie. How about you? I'm all right, uh, except that as as we talked about earlier and that we will talk about today, uh, college football is changing quite a bit and uh, probably no not kidding. for the better. <laughs> Yeah, that's what it looks like. <laughs> so, obviously, the biggest talk, let's just get right into it, is realignment. Um, when we when we do this, though, I want to separate uh, some things. I want to separate what's actually happened and, like, what, like, the official things that have been done versus, right. like, the speculations, right? Because we've seen a lot of crap like the, uh, the, oh, how is the pod system going to look in the SEC if this happens? Or like just stuff that is totally irrelevant um, at this at this point in time. Um, and, and for me, not really what I'm most interested right now. I think now is yeah. the time to look at like what are, where are these programs moving and like how is that going to change the entire landscape of college football versus the like – specifics of how the mechanics of sec scheduling is gonna look exactly yeah (laughs) um like we don't even know what (laughs) the sec scheduling is confusing enough as is right now um right so let's just get down to it um last week oh geez i didn't put dates on any of these notes but uh this was all last week slash last over the weekend recording this on wednesday the 28th um, so what's actually happened is that Oklahoma and Texas uh, basically started having, quote, started having discussions with the SEC last week about possibly joining the SEC. Um, many college football fans, including us, hate this uh, pretty much because it's, I mean, obviously the SEC is far and away the most dominant, you know, produces the most dominant programs right now. It's the best conference by far out of the power five. Um, it doesn't need the help of two major brands like OU and Texas. Um, a lot of, okay, I'll just keep going through my timeline here. Um, (laughs) neither OU nor Texas showed up to a big all conference meeting with the big 12. Uh, I think that was the day after. Um, and then in the last couple days they've announced they will not kind of officially announced they will not be renewing their media deals uh, through the Big 12 that expire in 2025. And um, the other part that's kind of funny in all this is that uh, Texas A&M is salty because the whole reason they left the Big 12 was to get away from, get out of under, get out from under Texas's shadow. Um, and it's pretty much worked for them up until now, right. um, as Josh, our beloved Josh Pate said, uh, quote, they did everything right and still got screwed. <laughs> um, right. And, and pretty much, yeah, I mean, pretty much there it's, it's interesting because a lot of people think that A&M was the, was who this report came from, who leaked yeah. this to the Houston Chronicle initially. Uh, people think it was A&M because they're you know, the number one program right now that is the most upset by it. Um, they're the program in the SEC that has definitely been the most vocal uh, in opposition of it so far. And like you said, that's that's mostly because, you know, they left the Big 12 and took over the Texas spot in the SEC. Mm-hmm. And it's actually worked really well for them. I mean, so yeah, far. they almost made the playoff last year. 
<laughs> right. Yeah. And now they have Jimbo. And, and I mean, A&M is a super interesting program because they have no shortage of money flowing in there. Nope. They, have a, I mean, they have a ton of fans. They have Jimbo as head coach. They have, you know, a lot of resources there. But for some reason, that Texas brand obviously still looms larger. Yeah. Um, and we'll get into more of the dynamics of it. Uh, as we talk about this, but I think it's also interesting, like the big 12 worked in a way where Texas and Oklahoma really were able to flex their muscle in the decision-making process Mm -hmm. and kind of tilt the balance of power, um, towards them in that conference, even when Texas wasn't playing that well on the field. Mm -hmm. Um, and one of the things that Josh Paytas said is that that's not how it's going to work in the sec. Nope. Texas is not going to have an outside an outsized uh, voice or vote in SEC discussions. Nope, because SEC uses revenue sharing. Right. And again, it's kind of a weird way. Like, it feels weird to sort of equate the, keep equating these things back to money and TV deals. But guess what? That is how college football works. Period. Right. I, I mean, I think that's what we're seeing in general in this moment in the sport. We've had so many things happen. Obviously, NIL being passed was a huge story. Um, and even the playoff expansion has been a big story, which this ties into a bit as well. Transfer we'll get to portal. later. Right. And and a lot of that, I feel like for me, has been this change from college football being this kind of weird, unique sport that's super disorganized in, this, in the kind of landscape of athletics in America um, and players being kind of protected by the, or not protected, but I don't know what the word is. They've been covered by this veil of amateurism, mm-hmm. which has allowed everyone to ignore the fact that they are great for business and that people are making a ton of money off of them and that people view this sport in a way much more similar to professional athletics than to, mm-hmm. you know, amateur athletics. And that literally on the field, it is, I mean, at least at the level we discuss and that we're referring to being like the power five generally, it basically is a professional sport. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, it basically is a professional sport. Absolutely. And it's interesting because, you know, I think so many people and you had a great, great quote that we'll get to later, but so many people now I think get caught up in like the national championship race and ESPN, like pushing the playoff, Um, but it wasn't that long ago, 25 years ago or 30 years ago that college football basically ignored crowning a national champion. Yep. The media voted on that stuff, but the root of this sport in the past has just been, uh, regional rivalries and dynamics between schools and stuff. So I think it's, we're seeing that people are realizing how much money is in this sport and they're turning college football into a business in the way that it's all ran. And this is kind of the first major attack by the SEC to take over that business, take the lead role in it uh, as we move into this next chapter of the sport. The way I keep explaining to people um, how kind of all this ties together is through college game day. We all love college game day, or at least used to, um, because it was, I love you know, it. Yeah. I mean, I, I do love it still. Like it's great. I, I went to the set, uh, when it came to Eugene back in 2018, um, for the Stanford game, like it's a great tradition. 
that's the whole point is that it's tradition and that you tune everyone across the country would tune into college game day every morning because you're going to hear about, uh, you know, Pitt versus West Virginia, the backyard brawl. And you're going to hear about like Iowa, Iowa state. You're going to hear about these random rivalry rivalries and also like random games that happen. You're going to hear about like Texas versus Maryland. You're going to hear about, well, that's a bad example because it includes Texas, but I mean, you're going to hear about, you know, uh, give me two random power five teams. You're going to hear about like Ole Miss and Cal playing in their non-con games like they did a couple years right. ago. Like those are important to a ton of fan bases. And so the quote that you were referring to that I pulled from this uh, Chris Vanini article from The Athletic, which is a great read, uh, opinion article. It was, quote, the vast majority of us care more about our rivals and goofy trophies than we do who wins the national title, period. And that's explicitly true. Like, that's 100% true. I mean, I mean that's that's the root of this sport. Let's exactly, just be clear. Exactly, yeah, yeah. There are people who are finding this sport who are trying to turn it into a sport geared towards the national title to help the business of it. But, like, why college football is special is the first part of that question quote is the rivalries and the goofy trophies and the fans and the culture and game day is obviously the window into all of that that's really cool yeah exactly um, and that's what i want to tie it back into is like now right. game day coverage you turn it on and it's 95 percent playoff talk the entire time right and i'm not the only one who hates that as oregon fans we're privileged to even be in that discussion sometimes but right. the reality is that without uncle phil uh, we would not, we would be crying right now, <laughs> basically. Well, right. I mean, yeah, it, it's just sad because as we'll get into, you know, who knows who is going to get a seat at the table in this next round, this next version of college football. Yeah. And a very real possibility is like our in-state rival, Oregon State, um, who, you know, it's not the most bitter rivalry. Like I, I care about that program and I really want it to exist, even though I always want yeah. Oregon to win. I want it to exist at a high level. Like I don't want it to be Idaho or Utah state. Um, but you know, they could get left out. That's a real possibility. And Oregon, if this all was happening 20 years ago, would have gotten left out too. I mean, yeah, that's the sad thing is that there's possibilities with how the sport functions now for programs to rise and fall and Oregon state like has had very good teams in the past. Um, mm -hmm. And if this thing gets reshuffled in a way where we cut those teams out from the top level that share in the biggest amount of the profits from TV deals, then they're not going to be able to form any sort of team capable of competing on a national level really mm -hmm. yeah. um so that's that's sad for me that's sad that like uh, you know with how this is going in 20 years if not sooner even like the tradition of oregon and oregon state playing and that being first of all maybe the game doesn't even happen in 20 years and second mm -hmm. of all like if it does it's more like Oregon versus, I don't know, Portland State or something like that. Like Georgia or, versus Georgia Tech. Right. <laughs> I mean, even more of a gap than that, probably. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's totally unfortunate. And I mean, uh, we don't need to keep, like, I don't want to 
keep repeating myself, but um, this is unequivocally a bad thing for college football. Um, and the other kind of the last point I kind of want to add about just Texas and Oklahoma specifically and the SEC, um, and this will this will be a segue into playoff expansion. Um, this has been planned for a while behind people's backs um, right. between UT and OU and the SEC to get all three of them together. Um, I know that sound kind sounds kind of like tinfoil hatty, but um, there's a reason that we expanded to 12 at the time we did, um, which that was also planned about a year in advance as well. Um, I mean, Greg Sankey, <laughs> the commissioner of the SEC, right. is playing 3D chess, and everyone else is playing checkers. I mean, I, I kind of thought of it, the metaphor I was thinking of was like a board game. Um, a super, like, think of college football and the Power Five landscape as a super complicated board game, right? Like Settlers of Catan or something like that. Uh, Greg Sankey is that one guy who, like, introduced all his friends to the game and, like, knows it <laughs> inside and out. He's got all the keys. Like, he knows exactly what to do or exactly what should be done. He can read everybody's hand. Like, it's not even fair. Um, and then there's a guy like Klyavkov who just just pulled up to the table, like just sat down to start the game. Um, the more I'm getting into this, I realize poker is the better metaphor for it. Um, you know, Kevin Warren in the Big Ten, he's really trying to catch up. He's doing what he can, uh, but he's like playing his cards all wrong, like he did last year with the whole COVID, like yeah, terribly handled situation by the Big Ten. No matter what. No matter where you fall on COVID, it was terribly handled. Um, it's it's just not fair to the rest of the, the college football landscape. I mean, at some point, like, I would kind of be okay if the SEC took everything over. Um, because it seems like they're the only ones who know how to run things the right way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is true. I mean, they take this business the most seriously. And we'll get into kind of how those possibilities work, but yeah, yeah. That's not, that's true. Like it's true. It does just mean more. Yeah. It's sad, but it's true. Yeah. I mean, to be clear, like, I think that that, that, um, phrase is a bit misconstrued sometimes. Like I don't use that to just, to diminish like our personal fandoms of it you know like that's not really what i'm talking about and i think that's why like people get worked up about that quote sometimes but in terms of like the um like management level of this sport and like the you know how it works on the conference level Mm -hmm. and donor money and just like how seriously these programs are willing to take winning football games like it's not close nope it's not you know that's what i mean that's what it's about but in that in that regard like you know it wouldn't be the worst thing in my mind if for oregon individually if they joined the sec down the down the line in 10 years or something and and to be clear like i've i've seen people on i get so frustrated i've seen people on twitter like saying oh you think oregon's gonna join the big 10 or the pack or the i mean the big 10 or the sec like that will never happen. Like, look <laughs> no at one what thought: ju- Texas and OU would join the SEC. Like, have people ago. not been paying attention to the sport for the last week? Like, what? Like, what do people think is going to happen? Because, like, yeah. let's just go back for a second. Like, 
Texas and Oklahoma, what are the odds they join the SEC? There like, were no odds on it because it wasn't right. on anyone's radar. Yeah. Yeah, but but like but like right now, what do you think? Like I'm like 95% sure they're playing in the SEC in 2025 and like it probably happens sooner. Yeah, I was going to say uh I would I'd bet the house on it and it's, I would also lay money on it happening before the end of that media deal. Yeah, right. they'll have to buy their buy themselves out, but I mean, it's going to be worth it to get to the SEC like Right. So like we're we're getting ahead of ourselves, but just like real quick, like okay, SEC just got Texas and Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. Say that's a done deal. Mm-hmm. What's next? Yeah. It, if you don't think they're going for Clemson, Florida State, Ohio Miami, State. well, probably yeah, I I think it probably starts with those That's fair. schools yeah. that are already in their footprint. But then you're 100% right. Once they get those Ohio State is literally the only program left in the country keeping them from having a monopoly yep. on college football in my mind. That Ohio State is the only program outside of that bubble, however you want to slice it, that you can't play college football without. They're the only mm-hmm. one where it's like, okay, well, we need Ohio State. You can live without Michigan. You can live without USC. They've been irrelevant for a decade. Penn State, same thing. Penn State. Like I, you want to have all these teams, and Oregon's like that too. Like Oregon, yeah. you'd like to have, but but if Ohio, you know, if they get those but schools, shit, college then they make an for offer. quite a long time without Oregon in the first right. place. <laughs> Sorry, the, but it can live without us. So I mean, that's the doomsday scenario: is the SEC just piles up like that? That offer's gonna be made to Clemson and Florida State in a few years, and like. The revenue will probably be lopsided enough that it would make sense for them to join. And then at that yeah. point, you know, it's just about whether, in my mind, the Big Ten can scramble to put enough stuff together to stop it and create like an AFC, NFC type of two super conference uh, kind of balancing each other out. And if not, then Ohio State jump ship. And then it's just. You know, either you get the invitation and you hop on board or you're left to the side because the SEC is just going to run through this thing. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, we'll, we'll get to your you, – we've mentioned a couple of them, but we'll get to your scenarios in a little bit. Um, right. Real quick, I want to I wanna go super meta and then talk how the Pac-12 fits in and then talk how Oregon fits in. Right. Um, why, why is this happening? Uh, it's a question we you kind of asked me right before we started recording, and I didn't really know how to answer it. Um, but really, this is all happening because uh, there is no governing body of college football. Right. I mean, we've it's pretty obvious, and it's like cliche at this point to say that. But I mean, how many like stupid things does the NCAA have to do to convince you that they don't mean anything? Like they're. <laughs> They're like the the teacher's pet in class who reminds the teacher that you have homework. Um, like, hey, slap on the wrist, ASU. Like, don't don't breach COVID protocols. I shouldn't say slap on the wrist because they we don't know what the official right. ruling will be there. Right. But you know, the NCAA is just like, oh, recruiting violation. Like, guess you get a few years of probation. Haha. Like, um. But I think the SEC is a great example of how, (laughs) I mean, (laughs) Pate put it pretty brilliantly the other day when he was like, uh, 
if the SEC, like, the bi- one of the biggest reasons why the SEC is succeeding so much is because, yes, of revenue sharing, but uh, it's because they have the best programs. And part of the reason they have the best programs is because they just stopped snitching on each other. <laughs> Craig Sankey got them all together and, like, basically said, like, hey, if you if you guys don't tell on each other about all these violations and stuff, then, you know, everyone will be better off. And what do you know? They are, Everyone is better off in the SEC. But, right. And that, I mean, that to apply that to the Pac-12, like, yeah. we are going through those growing pains right now. Like, Cristobal came into this conference. It was a huge wake-up call. And frankly, like, there are so many administrations in this conference who just don't want to take college football seriously. No, they like, don't. Or they like, don't know how to. I mean, ASU had them is literally snitching on itself right now. <laughs> right. Yeah, like, it's a disaster. Oh my god. I'm not saying that like, you know, breaching COVID protocols to host students is is good. I'm not saying that at all. I'm just saying like no school in the SEC is ever going to snitch on itself like that. That and they weren't the only school who did that. I will like yeah, I would, yeah. I'm pretty confident that they weren't the only school no, who did that. No, of course that. not. Of course <laughs> you know, not. It's college football. Like if you don't think that there are any other schools like yeah, like those people, rules. people were praising Colin Coward today for like pointing out that the SEC commits recruiting violations regularly. Right. Do you know how college football works? <laughs> I will again ask. Like th- this, this is how the sport goes. Like it's very unfortunate, but it. <laughs> this is how the landscape <laughs> works. Um. So I want to, like. Again, I want to point out a couple speculate like things that you shouldn't pay have to pay attention to right now. Yeah. Um, how the pod systems or schedule will look in the SEC. We already mentioned that one. Um, who cares right now? Yeah. We'll, we'll do a podcast on that in in three years, eight months, or three years or, when yeah, they actually well, join the conference, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it like yeah, that doesn't matter really right now. The twelve team playoff does make a lot more sense now as we already said because now the sec can fit even more teams in there well yeah i think that's true but i also would say there is another undercurrent right now in the sport where there's some people pushing back against 12 and i think that this shakeup could be enough to change the 12 this is model. also true yeah but we can yeah. we can like i don't think now is really the time to talk about that that's but true. I will uh, say really like, that point was like uh, from what it looks like from the facts that we have in front of us, the timeline kind of makes sense that Sankey would sort of line this stuff up. But right. yeah, it's not yeah, really yeah, yeah. right now. Um, another speculation. Uh, this one probably has a little more legs uh, that the Big Twelve is screwed. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, honestly, it it probably is. But you know what? That's not really something we have to worry about at this present moment um and uh i just have one more note on that is that you know it'd be just hilarious is if <laughs> kansas state beat oklahoma again <laughs> for the third year in a row right or and if, like iowa state comes out of the conference yeah it, that's the kind of the perfect scenario or if like texas misses a bowl game like that would be just great um or if texas loses to louisiana which again hey very real possibility um so we'll kind of segue that into the Pac-12. Like, the Big 12 is screwed, and uh, now is not the time to be throwing life preservers to these programs if you're the Pac-12. Yes. Um, this is kind of the meat of what I wanted to talk about today, was that stop suggesting 
to bring in Texas Tech or UNLV or TCU. TCU. Like, this is never going to happen, you guys. Baylor. I swear to God. Like, do you know how college football works? Do you? You don't, quote, capture the Las Vegas media market if you add a Mountain West team to your conference. It just means you have another Mountain West team in your conference. That's what it means. Like Houston, Houston was the other good one. Houston like, is the he, only possibility I'm remotely willing to acknowledge not. right now. But like, even then, it's just like, yeah, oh, Houston, not oh. all. But it's like someone think, googled the list of big cities and saw Houston on there. It was like, oh, who oh. thinks that people in Houston actually like would watch Pac-12 games because Houston joined? No, the fact like no. that is just <laughs> ridiculous. Like they have if these just programs. Watch the, if these programs were big enough to join a Power 5 conference, they would be in a Power 5 conference already. Yeah. In a lot of cases, that's true. I mean, especially UNLV is, is a disaster. UNLV is just basically. laughable. Like, bro. That one, you're, yeah, no, you remember like, that, like, Duck fan who suggested this, and I'm talking to many people at once with this comment. You remember that offensive coordinator you absolutely despise? <laughs> the one who just called run play after run play and couldn't close out games? Yeah, that one. He's the head coach at UNLV. That is how much of a, I, I don't want to say poverty program, but like that's how low-level program we're dealing with here. Like, yeah, I mean... UNLV it, will never be in the Pac-12. <laughs> I mean, it's just like Las Vegas as a weird market. I think it's smart enough that that the new commissioner is like trying to tap into it. But the way to do it isn't to get UNLV. It's maybe to have some neutral site games hosted there. Exactly. Pac-12 championship game. Got to be Yeah, that's fine. That's totally fine. But, like, UNLV doesn't control that city. Like, No. (laughs) This is not a college town situation. Like, this is not Eugene where, like, whatever happens is going to sway the entire, like, city. I mean, it's like Portland State or something. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Like, we're all Oregon fans. No one, like, if Portland's, I don't know. Like, it's like. <laughs> I will say, like, good on, okay, like, at people who are suggesting UNLV in Houston, et cetera, and TCU for the Dallas Fort Worth area. Like, good job for successfully identifying that media markets are important and that that's what will mm. determine how this stuff shifts around in college football. Yes. Like, good job. That is a good you're, step. You're very close. <laughs> yes. The next step is to realize that TCU is not a, like, national brand. TCU is not going to move the needle for the Pac-12. And no. that's the best example of those three, like, who could, who possibly could. You know, like, you know who would move the needle? Texas or Oklahoma. (laughs) Texas and Oklahoma, like we should have done, you know, 10 years ago. ago. Oh, man. Um, So, yeah, with that being said, I want to get into uh, John Wilner is pretty much the the best Pac-12 writer, kind of the only one worth your salt right now nationally. Despite that he hates Oregon. Despite that he constantly hates Oregon, yes. I think he predicted Cal. uh, Never mind. I don't even want to get into it. Um, (laughs) He uh, he he put out a four-stage survival plan that I thought was great the other day. Um, so go read it first of all because he's going to state these things better than we are. But um, number one was be aggressive, uh, and I, he was very general about that. So I'm taking it to mean like as a rule of thumb, 
Like, Klyavkov should be aggressive. I completely oh, yeah. agree with that. Um, that but that seems me, like... Go ahead. But let me tell you, that... Be aggressive, like, that is literally the only way that the Pac-12 can have anything over the SEC. Ever. Like, ever. Like, and, and why we should be aggressive? Because our back is again the is against the effing wall. The conference yeah. is crumbling yes. if we don't do something. Like like the SEC will be fine and we probably don't have the capital to do it, but like Josh Pate threw this idea out. What if a conference offers to pay the 150 mil to get Texas and Oklahoma out of their contracts yep. right now if yep. they join? If if the Pac-12 had 150 mil work for them right now because larry scott's idea of a con- of a conference network worked out yep. then we're that would right, be right back in, in the mix we it didn't right unfortunately but that i mean that's plan a should have been getting texas and oklahoma in the pac-12 yeah 10 years ago and that's the only way that we were gonna get to like that four four super conference model in my mind but anyways go back and to the, the wilner article well and there's a couple things that I want to jump off of what you said. The first is that like, we're not competing against the sec right now. And Klyavkov knows that he's realistic. Like we can't compete with the sec. We're competing with who we're really competing with is the big 10 and more than anyone, the ACC. Um, because and the big and the big 12 a week ago. Yes, exactly. (laughs) So it's a good thing that, uh, and God, I hesitate to say good thing. The first thing, we have to acknowledge that this is a race between all these conferences to get as much money as they can. And it's that right. race is never slowing down. I think that's pretty obvious right. at this point. One of your main competitors has just dropped out of said race. And you were in last and you're now in fourth. Um, don't yeah. save that conference by partnering with it. That is a terrible idea. <laughs> um, uh shoot what was the next thing i was gonna say i I thought klyavkov said something interesting too uh that was worth mentioning just yes and this is the second point of wilner as well oh well i I know what you're gonna gonna say go ahead Uh, that that we're the only uh we we now control everything in the mountain and pacific time zones was that what you're thinking yes yes yeah because wilner's second point was to disregard requests from the big 12 we don't need to add like non-exponentially revenue driving schools don't even talk to me about basketball by the way because basketball is like maybe 15 percent of the money that comes in yes football football. is the only thing that matters yes like i like i i'm all for rooting for all the duck sports but in terms of how this is going to go first of all we're a football podcast but second of all (laughs) like football is going to drive this football is the money football if you never driven did you never dove into uh like athletic um department revenues before and no shame if you haven't um (laughs) football pays for everything uh football and men's basketball pays for all the other sports combined and then some right actually U of O is one of the few women's basketball programs in the nation that actually turns a profit sometimes um okay uh what's next Oh, oh, real quick. Um, maybe, no, you know what? I'll save that point for the end of these four points. So that was two, right? Disregard requests for the Big 12. These are This is Wilner's four-stage plan. Three, partner with the Big 10. This is the point I'm kind of iffy on. I don't, I don't really know if that's a great idea. 
um, forming some sort of super conference with the Big Ten. This was also one of your suggestions. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I'm skeptical on that. I'm fuzzy, but I also don't. I'm not sure I've thought about it enough to where that makes sense. Yeah, let's talk about it as we get it going. But yeah. I mean, that's the one that that's the natural alignment from a cultural perspective too. like, I mean, obviously both conferences treated COVID a similar way. They both prioritize academics. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They're Historically, both, uh, the Pac-12 has kind of just followed right. suit with whatever the Big Ten, who's the Big Ten sort of like the, uh, I don't know, the Big Ten's like the, the cop of the power <laughs> five. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yeah. And like. And there's the Rose Bowl history, obviously ties those conferences together. Mm -hmm. um, so it's interesting. I think I I don't want to get like political necessarily, but it's a little weird that like this could basically split between like red states and blue states a little bit. Um, mm. That's like an interesting that dynamic. Yeah. Wow. Um, Civil War in college football. We got you got Ohio. Um, yeah, but. Uh, it, it's interesting. I don't know. I think the the Big 12 partnership has a lot of layers to it uh, that could make it good and bad. The other thing that is big is um, the Big 12 leadership's really obsessed with this thing, AAU. Yes. Um, it's basically like, from my understanding of it, which has only come about in the past few days since I heard the term. Yeah. Um, it it's the like Association of Athletic or Academic universities i don't even know it's basically... it's basically a bunch of bigger research universities that prioritize uh academics um that because the big 10 like and pac-12 both view themselves as academic conferences as well um not that the sec completely doesn't but let's be honest they don't care um <laughs> they oh they want schools to join that are that have that aau label that says that they're a big enough research institution to have like the academic prestige to be a part of that new conference mm -hmm. which is just ridiculous in terms of yeah. building a successful football product yeah. but luckily oregon is on that aau list uh, along with a few schools in the pac-12 but that's another bridge that is under that kind of aligns those two conferences because big 12 leadership or big 10 leadership has explicitly said that they would only be interested in AAU schools for further expansion, at least at this time, except for Notre Dame is the only exception, I think. Yeah. Um, the last point that Wilner made is something I really want to expand on. Um, and it's, uh, get on CBS. Um, so CBS, as you may well know, as a college football fan, uh, airs the SEC Game of the Week every week. Um, mm -hmm. That ends after 2023. And um, usually it's the most watched. Yeah. Other, It's usually that or the primetime ABC game that's the most watched every week. Yeah. Um, by far. It's yep. a really, really big platform. I mean, you need to get... For a conference that so desperately needs to get more eyeballs on their product, being the Pac-12... You have to do this. This is not like a conditional thing. Like you, you have to get on. You have to take advantage of this opportunity. It yeah. Relates back to the first point of being aggressive as a rule of thumb. Again, that's something that's very obvious, but 
needs to be explicitly stated because this is the type of shit that Larry Scott would throw out the window or just not even consider. And, and again, let, let's just say, how do you get that deal with CBS? Here's what doesn't help you get that deal. Adding, adding Texas, Texas Tech, Tech. and <laughs> UNLV. UNLV. <laughs> what does help you get it would be adding Texas, Texas or Oklahoma. Oklahoma. Yeah. If you add a blue blood, a superpower of the sport, one of those top 15 name brand programs, you can get that deal. Mm-hmm. If you add you, if you just add a, a school that happens to be geographically located <laughs> in a city where some other people also happen to live, you, it doesn't mean no. anything. No. Um, uh, okay. But this, this launches me into, into a more general discussion about, um, I kind of want to just go over the current Power 5 TV deals very briefly. Yeah, um, that's I don't know much about it, so you should definitely do that. Because that, that is what key. drives this Yes, stuff. exactly. Yeah. This is what um, you need an understanding of this to understand how college football works. Is that um, So the Pac-12, obviously, they're Tier 1 and Tier 2 content. So your best game and your second best games uh are sold to they've been sold to ESPN the rights to broadcast those that's why you see Pac-12 games on ESPN um, it's also why you get Pac-12 after dark is because they happen very late in the day mm-hmm. um, I believe there's some tier three rights sold to Fox as well yeah uh, you see games on Fox definitely that's where my mind went but yeah uh, yeah ESPN is first for sure but you definitely see some big games on Fox too that's interesting yeah I maybe I'm messing those up I can't remember but essentially what's important is that everything below that the pac-12 uh consolidated to in-house that's what the pac-12 networks is and it's a terrible fucking idea because unlike all the other conferences who you know the sec network sold themselves to espn well unfortunately for the sec they don't get to control every single piece of content that goes out espn does but what it does mean is that people can actually watch it. Um, and again, and newsflash, the ESP, ESPN is probably better at selling and marketing and organizing that content yes, than yes. the in-house division at the SEC is. Or Certainly better than the Pac-12. <laughs> right. Um, but, but yeah, also just to mention that, like, as Oregon fans, we probably don't even, unless you follow this, like, conference as a whole, you probably don't realize even how like big of an issue that is because luckily Oregon fans only have to deal with like maybe one or two games a year being sell yeah, being yeah. Sol- only found on Pac-12 network yeah. we usually because we built ourselves into the one of the big brands in the conference the biggest or second biggest we get the chance to be on ESPN or Fox every week pretty much mm-hmm. but like no, literally no one outside of the West Coast sees Oregon State play 10 games Ever. of the year. Like, Ever. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so the Pac-12 deals with Fox and ESPN end at the, uh, after 2024. This is relevant because uh, the Big Ten, who the Pac-12 will pretty much obviously be competing with for that CBS slot, um, the Big Ten's media deals end at the end of 2022. Um, and as you may well know, the Big Ten's are mainly with Fox. 
Yeah, big um, noon kickoff, I think. Yeah, exactly. That That's their yeah. whole thing. Um, and Big Ten Network is owned by Fox. Right. Owned and operated. Right. Um, ACC are kind of screwed with their media deal. Um, they Theirs is the only one that comes close to being as bad as the Pac-12s. Uh, the ACC's deal with ESPN goes until 2036. Wow. So you won't have to worry about that one in a while. The SEC's just, I want to say it just renewed a couple months or week, ugh, years ago. Um, <laughs> maybe runs until 25, if not longer. Um, but basically, like, you can expect that ESPN and ABC will be just wall-to-wall SEC all the time. Um, especially with the addition of Texas and Oklahoma. So that's kind of how the everything works. Obviously, NBC has uh, Notre Dame, but they're not. NBC is not really looking to expand its college football coverage. Um, it's kind of assumed that the Big Ten will continue to partner with Fox, just re up for a lot more money. Um, so yeah, uh, CBS is your is your target. Um, I will say maybe in that terms means of, you're uh... buying Paramount Plus, but. <laughs> Shit, man. Do what it takes to get on Channel 6. Well, one thing, uh, CVS owns 247 Sports also. That so too, yes. That's, that's interesting. Huge. That's the that I, I mean, that's the biggest brand in terms of exclusively covering college athletics and especially college football. Yeah, that's probably. true. It's a great point. Um, unfortunately, honestly, I, I kind of like ESPN the most because I like – I personally, I like Kirk – and Fowler on the call, Herb Street and Fowler yeah. on the call. Yeah, but that'll that'll be the classic. I'll I'll take I'll take a CBS game for sure. Oh, dude! Dun, 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 dun. Oh, I can't. Oh, I would love to hear that <laughs> with the pack. Um, zooming into Autumn as the yeah as the sun yeah. sets. I guess it would no be kidding, sunset. Man. It would be like two p.m. But um. Okay, those are Wilner's four tips to survival. I totally agree with them. Um, uh, Reed, I want to go through your four, you tweeted this out the other day, the four possible outcomes and one big question yeah, I for can, how this I all can, shakes out. Yeah, I can go through this. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I, I came up with four possible outcomes. I have an article that I think will come out soon about, um, kind of flushing these out a little more, but I'll go through them now too. Um, so while you go through this, the big question overall that I think should keep you should keep in mind that I keep coming back to is how many teams will belong in the top tier of college football in the coming era, right? So we've had these labels mm-hmm. like FBS and Power Five that we've used to say these schools belong to compete for a national title essentially at the top level. Theoretically, uh, yeah. Theoretically, right? Uh, obviously, not all of them compete in a given year, but you know they're like. Within 10 years, we think these schools could make it. We had the FBS, and then it was like, okay, that's too big of a list. Power five. Any of these schools could rise and fall and be a good program. Plus Notre Dame. Um, plus Notre Dame. And and now I think what we're starting to see is that with this next round of realignment, that list could shrink even more. Um so just keep that in mind. How many teams is it? Right now we have 64 Power 5 teams plus Notre Dame. Do all of them belong? Does Washington State, does Kansas State, does Georgia Tech, 
et cetera, Virginia belong competing for the top level of football in Mm -hmm. of college football period. Okay. So here are the options. First off, first possibility is that the PAC 12 just stays in its current form with its 12 members through this reshuffling. Mm -hmm. Is this possible? Not that possible. It could happen. I think it's now isn't the time personally for me to write anything off the table based on what we've seen. True. But it's going to take a lot to have this work. The product needs to improve significantly and it's not going to be the same. The power five kind of paradigm that we've been living under in college football is gone away with this move. Um, mm-hmm. Because really the has, big 12, yeah. yeah, the big 12 drops off. Now any idea, any conception that we used to have of conference equality of the fact, okay, yeah, the sec is a little better but they're not that much better. They still mm-hmm. look and act like a power five, a power five conference at the end of the day. That's not true anymore. Yeah. They, they don't look anything like the mold of power five conferences. Um, so they're going to be an exception. And the only way that this could stay stable in my mind is that it's going to be the one big boulder moon, whatever the sec. And then it's got to be three satellite conferences kind of together keeping that in check roaming around the outside which would be the Pac-12, the Big 10 and the ACC. <clears throat> I don't I don't know if they can do that, but that's a potential model. Uh, I'm worried that the Pac-12 product becomes irrelevant over time. It kind of is I, already, and this is why Right. <laughs> but in a weird way, this is why I'm okay with it staying as is right now. Um Klyavkov has mentioned during media days recently that, yeah, teams have reached out from the Big 12. Um, he, as he says, we're foolish not to like field that call. Like you, you gotta, you gotta pick up the phone. But at the same time, it's also foolish, as we've been mentioning, to add a Texas Tech or a Baylor, right? Just based on the fact that it's another Power Five conference or another Power Five team, excuse me, and that you're a Power Five conference. And that um, uh, just because the SEC is expanding means that the Pac-12 has to expand as well. No, that's not true. As I mentioned earlier with the racing metaphor, we've just had a competitor drop out. I mean, it's like when you're number five in the country, you root for number four to lose, you know? Right. I mean, it's, it's the same thing. Like, the Big 12 just got dropped off. Tech, now, what I think is interesting is that technically the Big 12 will survive as a Power 5 conference and it will have a theoretical seat at the table in these discussions. But it's pretty clear that that won't be relevant. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I I mean, for me, I don't really see how the Big 12 survives this because, I I mean, you just say, let's look at what what has a Power 5 conference looked like for the past 15 years or past... I don't know, since the last age of realignment. It's been anywhere from three or four to six plus major players, which we have in the SEC, of those huge programs, right? And it's been then flushed out with a bunch of other relatively competitive ones. Mm -hmm. And the Big 12 lost their two. 
yeah. they don't they don't really have another one at all. Yeah, um, exactly. You got a couple a couple programs that are big enough and good enough to I don't want to say reach the playoff. Every, well, yeah, to reach the playoff every year. Pac-12 is like you got half a team, I would say. Big 10, you basically got one, maybe one and a half. Uh Big 12, you got like one and a half. ACC, you got one, Clemson. So yeah, I mean, like you said, the Big 12 just lost their one and a half teams. Right. Yeah, I mean, and it's just it, more than like the individual teams and can you make a playoff? It's like the brands, the like the logos that literally carry the day in terms of, I mean, TV rights is one thing, but just like caring about college football and driving it. Like the Pac-12 has Oregon and USC, mm-hmm. and then they have like Washington and UCLA kind of sit on like another level where it's like, are you going to really take this stuff seriously? Mm -hmm. You could be big if you would. And then the big 10 has Ohio state, Michigan, Penn state and Wisconsin, I guess. And then I would also add Nebraska in there. Nebraska kind of on that Washington UCLA tier of like, yeah, if you took this seriously, you could be good. Right. Which, Oh dude, should we add Nebraska to the PAC 12? That I would be on board for, but that's I, another discussion. We don't need to get there. That that is a maybe for me. Like yeah. and and Colorado's here already. You yeah. get that rivalry yeah. back. Like that's interesting. Nebraska at least is like a brand, bro. Like that's what college football operates off of. Nebraska is like a it's a dead brand right now, but it's a brand. Oh, dude, Nebraska still fills that. Like they'll they'll fill that stadium. I mean, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Like. And people, like, it's just so insane if you know anything about this sport to be like, let's add UNLV, not Nebraska. No. Like, like <laughs> that is an insane yeah. take. Yeah, Nevada, Nevada, they deserve a seat at the table. No, no, they don't. But Dude, the so last d- the last ne- Nevada game you watched on TV had soccer lines on the field. <laughs> anyway, so what do you think? Like, we're 10 years from now. What are the odds that the Pac-12 has the 12 members it has now? Pretty high, I think. I mean, you if really, I, you think so? If I'm I mean, we're 10 day we're less than 10 days into this whole thing exploding. Right. We're like 5 days into it. Right. Um but yeah, I think so. I mean, I think I think Kliavkov's a straight shooter from what we've seen so far and his comments recently of we're, we're confident with the 12 that we have moving forward. I think he's serious about that. He's got no reason to lie about that. Um, well, that's not really true. I guess I don't, we don't know that because we don't know. What <laughs> I feel like his, that's fair. But, I feel like that is the classic line that you'd put out. Like, I feel like he has a huge reason to lie about that. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> but I, I think we'd have, I think we would have uh, the 12 teams we have now. Here's a question. If any were to drop out, hypothetically, who would it be? Wazoo? Oregon State? Well, I tend to think that we – I tend to think that Oregon and USC leave before – Me too. Like the fat of the conference is cut. I think like the superpowers leave. Yeah, me you know, too. I don't think we would just cut Wazoo. Like, I, I think Wazoo will stay in the Pac-12 until 
I don't know, for a long time. Unless the Pac-12, like, changes into this sports car and, like, added Oklahoma and Texas and Nebraska or something and, like, was, like, really, like, okay, we're going to take this seriously. I don't, like, and cut Wazoo to the Mountain West, maybe, but I think they stay in the Pac-12 pretty much. I got another question for you. Yeah. Do you think right now, at time of recording, do you believe the Pac-12 is improving or not improving or neutral? I think it's improving. Yeah, me too. What? Oh, God. Overall, I, I think it's improving because Oregon's improving. Oregon and, <laughs> and Oregon, Oregon and USC are getting better. Washington. That's, I mean, we just talked about all the conferences in terms of their best teams. Right, but Washington is a shit show. I wouldn't call it a shit show yet. I, Lake Lake I, no, could Lake could work out for them. That okay, yeah, yeah. No, that's what I'm saying though. Like, I don't think Lake's a bad coach. I don't think their roster is bad. Like, I I we talked about it. Like, Washington could go ten and two this year. Washington could win the Pac-12. They have a great roster right now. But what does it look like going forward? They aren't recruiting at the cliff they need to True. and. They are like the poster child for an administration being unwilling to get their stuff together in terms of marketing and resource allocation and just like, oh my God, we have a gold mine on our hands in terms of a football program that could actually function at the nationally competitive level Mm -hmm. and no one there cares at all. Nope. Like, um... Like Josh Pate uh, did this interview and was like uh, with um, with the Ducks and Dogs podcast and was asked the distinction between the two, between Oregon and Washington. And he said, would Mario Cristobal fit in at Washington right now? No. no. <laughs> and if if Mario Cristobal doesn't fit in with your program, you're that's running a fault. bad yeah. program. <laughs> yeah. Like. <laughs> That like it's that's the OKG mindset, just like the the Washington way, Holier academics, all this BS that gets in the way of actually having a successful program. Yep. Um, so that worries me about the future of the Pac-12, and I just wonder, like, what really worries me is if Cristobal at right now Cristobal is happy at Oregon because he can build a national contender at Oregon. Mm-hmm. I believe that 100%. He can recruit at the level he needs to recruit at. The Pac-12 is a bit of a weight on his back in terms of the recruiting message, but it's he can overcome it. Yeah. Um, and the Oregon brand is big enough to overcome it right now. But who knows in five years if or if the Pac-12 isn't viewed as a – if they're viewed closer to the American right now than they are to the mm-hmm. Power 5 label. They that, were until – couple days ago yeah (laughs) right they don't like those programs outside of the power five basically don't get five-star recruits yeah like and if you're and mario cristobal as much as like no fault on him absolutely but if he can't get five-star recruits here and can't win a national championship here he's not staying he's not staying to compete at the second level of college football he wants to be in oregon i absolutely believe that but he's not going to stay here to play second second fiddle college football, yep. small ball. That you know, So at that point, that's when the real rubber is going to meet the road in terms of 
we might have to jump ship to make that happen unless this product improves. Yeah, we've so, talked in the past about Oregon maybe going independent or the possibility of Oregon and USC doing that, right. becoming just another Notre Dame. And I mean, you know, you could still but, schedule your way into old rivalries and stuff like that. But yeah, we don't but need to the get issue, any specifics. But. Well, yeah, but I mean, the issue with it is like Notre Dame has a very unique scenario situation because of two main factors. Like scheduling, I think, usually takes care of itself. I don't think that's that big of a hurdle. But the two things are, as we talked about earlier, TV deal. Yep. They have in big NBC. Yeah, unbelievable. Like no comparison, NBC deal nationally televised every week on a major network. Like, yeah, Oregon's not getting that probably. No. No. Um, and then they have a seat at the table. Their AD has a seat at the table, or president, or whatever has a seat at the table right next to every conference commissioner in the FBS. Yeah. Like every conference gets one vote. The 10 conferences gets one vote and Notre Dame gets one vote, like one of the 11 votes. Um, so Oregon isn't going to get there. That's the, maybe they have a little independence club that they all can work together. But like, why would Notre Dame agree to that? Anyways. <laughs> so PAC 12 stays as it is. It's going to require a lot it's going to require things to stay steady in the rest of the power five first of all or the rest of conference realignment yeah because that's the other thing i want to mention is the pac-12 is not at a place where we necessarily control our own destiny as a conference right Um, And, and and back to what i wanted to say this earlier like being aggressive is really good but we don't want to be reckless we don't want to expand just for expansion's sake yes or make moves or cut ties with with the teams that have been in this conference for a hundred years like oregon state and wazoo like that is not you know that's just reckless that's we have some time to see how this thing plays out and evolve but it also is you know this has to be a holy shit moment the sport is completely changing. And if we're not being aggressive, trying to seek out everything to do, like we, we can fall apart. There's no yeah. law in college football that says the PAC 12 has to exist. Everything in 10 is years. very fragile right now as well. Yeah. Um, the other, the last thing I want to say about improving the PAC 12 from within, uh, we talked about the bigger programs getting even bigger USC and Oregon. It's the mid tier programs um, that are next on the list. Like, a conference doesn't need to. A conference doesn't necessarily improve by bringing up the Oregon states and the Washington states, and like the cows of the conference. Vanderbilt is in the SEC. Exactly, it's exactly what I was going to say. Like Vandy has existed in the SEC as a punching bag for years on end, and guess what? It's fine. They don't. It's care. actually great. It, yeah. You actually give a bye week to all of your top teams, yeah. basically. Yeah. It's it actually is not a bad thing at all, and no one cares about it from no. a national perspective. What matters is getting Utah and Arizona State and UCLA and Washington up to the level that USC and Oregon are currently at, and then As, USC and Oregon even more so improving. Honestly, for me, the the two that I actually have the most interest in right now like arizona state is i don't know what's going to happen with the recruiting stuff and i don't really think that they are built to function at the highest level of college football prove me wrong i'd love to see that happen utah like is more well run but they're like ex they're kind of exceeding expectations with like a 
Boise State model type of thing, basically. This like, is true, but I mean that again, prove me wrong. Please prove me wrong. Like that would be great. But who I really look at is UCLA has a history in athletics. They are huge. They are in LA. They like who wouldn't want to go to UCLA if they were recruited there? You know? The thing that the thing that brings me back is like to the to Utah having an argument is that there was a time where I mean, in our lifetimes, Utah was the BCS buster of all BCS busters. I mean, yes. they were Boise State on crack when they had Urban Meyer and they beat Alabama in the Sugar Bowl in an right. undefeated season. Um, obviously, with Whittingham, it's a little bit of a different story, but, I mean, they were one win away from going to the playoff a couple of years ago. Yeah, They did run into us, and, I mean, we can, there's a whole other discussion we had about, you know, recruiting and tiers of talent and stuff that made that happen but the thing that i always circle back to is that do you think in the andrew luck era stanford fielded a national championship caliber team what do you mean like do i think those stanford teams could have won a national championship yeah yeah absolutely i do okay so if stanford can do it like why can't yeah yeah i think that's true i guess i just think I don't know. I think they have a different recipe, like I to win a. Oh yeah, bit. they do. But my point being, like at their ceilings, the mid tier call the mid tier Pac twelve programs have the ability to be like in the top five at the end of any given year. But but who, but who could be Oregon or USC? Like who could land a top ten recruiting class and build it that way? You know, Oregon or USC, maybe. Yeah, UCLA could. What I'm saying is, yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah, UCLA could, UW could, if they ever got their stuff together from an administrative standpoint. And then the other one I'm looking at is Colorado. I think could. Colorado's a great one, dude. They've won a national title. Yeah. In the '90s, they could. Like they, they could, they could step up from an athletic perspective. I think to be another power on the West Coast. I'm gonna, in a similar vein, like this is a maybe a bump down. I don't think this, this program could win a national title, but again, maybe if they got all their crap together, Arizona. Yeah. I mean, shoot, that's a huge brand. Everyone in the country sees that a, they know Arizona. Like that's kind of what I think about ASU as well. I mean, shoot. And and I like it when I see a school too, that I've seen have such succession success in athletics in general, talking about their basketball Basketball, program, just like UCLA. I say, okay, they care, they know what this can bring at least, and they would be interested, and they've been successful in the past too. Yeah, Arizona not as much, but Arizona was kind of like, Arizona was always that team that was just one win away. And a lot of times that one win has been a loss to Oregon. (laughs) They were always one win away from going to the Rose Bowl, and they always just managed to mess it up. Right. Oregon State and Wazoo, there's not much we can say for them. I think we've seen Wazoo's ceiling with Leach. Um, just masterminding his way into a bunch of wins over the mid-tier programs throughout the right. throughout his tenure. Oregon State is a very interesting case. I mean, again, there was a time where they were pretty much on almost on equal footing with the Ducks. Uh, yeah. We talk about that 2009 Civil War as like a swing game for decades to come, probably still. And, um, and even in 2001, they won 2001, the exactly, over yeah. Notre Dame. Which is their version of kind of what we had in that Joey Harrington era. Exactly, yeah. I mean, 
OSU's like I'm not gonna call it a sleeping giant, but they're <laughs> they're a capable like top twenty five program any given year, and that's kind of what ha- the yeah. Power Five is. You know, that's kind of what the Power Five symbolizes. Right. But what I'm saying is, generally, like the recipe for the Pac-12 to get better is not adding Baylor or any of the other random teams we've named so far, even Boise State. It's just not like. Okay, how honestly though, real quick, how would you feel about this? This is the only hypothetical I'll throw out for the rest of the episode, all right? How would you feel about Nebraska and Boise State both getting added? I think that's I think that's something at least. Yeah, I think that's something. Boise, while they're not, you know, they're not a huge program, they are at least a recognizable one. Yeah. More so than UNLV. I like Nebraska a lot from a brand thing, which I had barely even thought about before this episode. Um, I hadn't. Yeah, I hadn't at all. (laughs) Boise State, people throw around. Again, you know, to me, they look like Utah. I mean, they are Utah, basically. Like, yeah. uh, Which isn't bad, you know, but like we're talking about who can be. Those are teams that I think could be like that fifth and sixth best team or something in your, in your in conference yeah. and they could maybe have a year where they run into the, into the top 10 and stuff. But like, um, what are we looking for? Like, we're looking for who can be that three and four. Like, I mean, like the big 10 has like Ohio state, Michigan, and then who's Boom. our Penn state and Wisconsin, yeah. you know, like that could be Nebraska. You yeah. know, like Nebraska isn't going well now, but they could get there. Um, yeah. So that's interesting. Yeah, that uh, that's like, and Boise State is a is a fine is a fine team, but they they're not going to that next level. You know. No, again, they're markedly yeah. a step below us. They just hired our defensive coordinator. <laughs> right. Um, so so moving on. So in my. You want to go next in my list? So we had Pac-12 stays as is. Yeah, I want to do the next one because I have a I have a very another like meta idea um, that I want to inject into this. Okay, so the next one is that we expand into the Pac-16. We add four more teams, and this is the model that all of the college football pundits have like fantasized about for the past five years or something yeah, four because four is a we better have four, number than five four playoff spots was what we used to have and five's a prime could, number right and and we've had such weird and inequities in terms of the inequality in terms of the number in each conference like big 12 had 10 yeah. um yeah it was just that's weird. the other part of like explaining this to people is like okay so the big 12 has 10 teams the big 10 has 14, 14 teams. Uh, SEC the will now have 16. The yeah. ACC has 14 with a half partner in Notre Dame. But the Pac-12 is still 12. That one's right. easy. <laughs> um, but so Pac-16, what does that look like? My main pushback on it is that I think it holds on to that idea. Going back to the big question I asked, how many teams belong in the top tier of college football? It yeah. holds on to the idea that there are 64 teams that belong there. And it says, okay, this would all look a lot more organized if those 64 were broken into four sets of 16. 
that's a fine idea on the surface, but again, can wash does Washington State look like it belongs in the same group that Oregon does anymore? Also, um, I don't know. That, in, yeah, what were we gonna I say? I just think that I can't help but think, but that the sort of conference model, anything rigid like that would just blow up once. Alabama realizes they can make more money than everybody else by leaving it. Right. I mean, that's the thing. Like, I, I think that it's really interesting to me because college football is such a weird sport in the, and so disorganized. And in some ways, I think that a lot of the people who are attracted to cover this sport are obsessed with organizing it and putting it into these boxes yeah. that it inevitably breaks out of because of money, because why would the SEC care, care about what looks the cleanest nope. when they can go with the sloppy option that makes them the most money? So how would, like, if we were, and there there is no body like what the NCAA Again, yeah, should that's what I was about to, say, to organize is that, it, like, right? The, the NFL can or, and the NBA can organize themselves however they damn please because there is an NFL, there is an NBA. There is no college football office. Yeah. You can call right. it the NCAA, but I already went over that. They're basically irrelevant. Like the So how, this, how? This, this also bleeds into your next model of uh the Pac-12 kind of maybe merging with the Big 10 and going to sort of an AFC NFC style model against the SEC is like, well, yeah, ideally these things would work, but at the end of the end of the day, these big SEC programs just regard themselves more highly than the rest of college football. Yeah. Right, absolutely. Yeah, that was kind I of think roundabout, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think, you know, how does 16 look like? What is that for super conference model? The issue is that for that to work and be balanced, the move that needed to happen was for Oklahoma and Texas to join the Pac-12. Yeah. And for um, get Nebraska. Notre Dame to go to the ACC and for, I don't know, you know, for the splintering to work off that way. But the Pac-12 was the side that needed the power from Texas and Oklahoma to say, we're legit. Yeah. Um, for this to happen now, it would require generosity. And that right. is not something that will exist. Right. Absolutely. Um, so that's worrying. That makes me think it's not very realistic. And we already had the discussion about the other expansion options. I don't think this is the time to play small ball and add Texas Tech and Houston and UNLV, if we haven't made that clear enough. I don't yeah. think that does anything. I think that dilutes the revenue share. I think that it just doesn't move the needle. It makes you look weak when the SEC adds Texas and Oklahoma and you add Tech and TCU and Houston, it's you look ridiculous. Like that that's how you that's how you solidify your brand as lesser than the SEC by a wide margin. Yeah. Exactly. Um do you want to go through your fourth hypothetical and then I have another meta yeah. thing to drop yeah yeah my fourth one uh well so third one again to refresh pac 12 merges with the big 10 there's the natural alliance there and it basically i think it looks something like the big 10 has 20 to 20 
five teams and the SEC has 20 to 25 teams. Yeah. Um, depending on if the SEC is willing to cut off some of the fat like Vanderbilt um, and if the Big Ten does the same like Rutgers, then that could look like 16 teams and 16. If we really go super, super conference and only bring in the best of the best. Um, but any, but again, this is kind of a model that is about people who want to organize things and see it work out well. And it's people and who just want ag- what's best for college football. Right, New right, flash. right. We're not going to get what's best for college football. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't want to demonize these people. That's a good point. It, it's not that it's a bad model in your mind but it ignores the actual mechanisms of how these decisions happen and how the realignment is going to work. Yeah, it's not practical. So that moves into the last scenario, which by the day I'm kind of considering and thinking it becomes more and more likely a little bit. And that's that the SEC just keeps, I mean, they have the most money. They take it the most seriously. They're the most well-run. And they're and the idea is that they keep buying off big programs until there is no one left and it's just going to be hopefully you get an invitation to the table and if you want to compete at the highest level you don't really have an option but to but to join this is a little bit troubling because it you know it would be a football only move probably i mean oregon can't play the olympic non-revenue generating sports traveling all the way to alabama every week nope so Not it would require super train. Yeah, it would require a cutting off of football from the rest of the athletic department a bit in terms of conferences. But this is a business. This is treated like a professional sport at this point. So who's to say that couldn't happen? I think it very much could. Um, and we've already talked about the model. They add Oklahoma and Texas now. Then they go after Clemson, Florida State, Miami, whoever else who's already in that South region. Then they hold all of Texas and all of Florida from a recruiting perspective. They have the majority of the superpowers in the sport. And the, the Northern schools and the Western schools and the Big Ten and Pac-12 can try to come together and align in some of the northern part of the ACC and try to make something that rivals it with the super Big Ten. But, but I, I mean, geography I, is already becoming irrelevant in this whole discussion right i don't i don't really get like we live like oklahoma is, is not in the southeast get, <laughs> it's only gonna get easier to travel you this know is true. Like, yeah i don't yeah. think that's what's gonna hold us back and we do it for professional sports like that's mm-hmm. where all these teams reside in the professional sports so yeah um travel is like the ability to travel to away games is like a core. Again, this is one of the traditions of college football that, mm-hmm. ooh, excuse me, will have died out as a result of this. Um, unfortunately, so. But like we're mentioning, like this is just the reality. I want to. Um, I've been shooting down people's like dumb ideas all day, but I want to give a dumb idea of my own just to show how dumb ideas aren't always dumb. Um, okay, a- adding adding these small programs are unequivocally dumb ideas, but just let me say this. I haven't worked out exactly how I was going to put this, so I'm just going to say it. Promotion relegation for college football, baby. Make it happen. 
this would ultimately require a real governing body, first of all, um, which, again, as we kind of saw with the history of the NCAA, might not even mean much at the end of the day. But if we can get all the big boys and all the other boys to kind of get in on this idea and agree to it, I think it could be, I think it could make everybody happy, including the, the more purist college football fan who, you know, wants geography and everything to match up. Again, I don't know whether this is like a, like a two, three, four tier system or something like that, but I think what you get with the promotion relegation style system, which by the way, what that means is at the end of the season, uh, the worst teams in tier one drop down to tier two, like explicit tier one and tier two. Um, and then the teams who did best from tier two jump up to tier one. Um, I would love to see this model. Uh, I've talked about this before on the pod. I think there's a lot of similarities between college football and soccer, international soccer around the world. Yeah. Obviously like don't, you know, please don't get in my mentions over that. Like, if you know what you're talking about, you will understand that that is the case in some ways. From a competitive standpoint, like, it is similar. In Europe, you have all these, you know, there's a reason Absolutely. writers keep going back to the Super League thing. Absolutely. It, it's, it's also probably the two sports in the world that have the best fans. Yeah, that's also true. And that the fans care about the end product the most. Right. I mean, like you'd have you couldn't pay NFL pro fans to like actually protest something. I mean, <laughs> seriously. Like and this is what I fear for college football is the only reason that the that the European Super League didn't happen in soccer was because the fans like f- literally flipped the table. Not literally. They they flipped the table upside down and they were like screw this, this is not happening. Like they recognized the greed and they stopped it before it could create right. something terrible. Um, and that's not happening right now in college football. We have fans like who are more concerned about what the SEC schedule will look like in 2025 than they do the health of the overall sport. Right. And again, that's not necessarily like people's faults. I mean, I think adding fault to this is kind of irrelevant. Um, like you just... I don't even know, man. I'm so exhausted with this. Like, I'm I'm just so pissed that this is happening. Promotion relegation, I feel like, could provide an avenue for everyone to be happy and for the money to make sense for people. Um, although I do understand that it's not realistic. Um, but yeah. shoot, maybe, you know, again, we never know what's realistic and what's not. Yeah, I, I think it's an interesting idea. I'm a fan of how it operates in, in, in international soccer. And I think, you know, there are some obvious challenges. We have 12-game schedules right now. Yeah. How big are these tiers? How many te- other teams can you play? Yeah, and again, these, this is why I was hesitant schedules? to bring it up is because uh, it, I haven't, right. like, flushed out this idea whatsoever. But right, but uh, you know, I just want to acknowledge. <laughs> right, I want to acknowledge there are a bunch of roadblocks there, but it's a good idea that works well. That yeah, that I I like the sound of it in a lot of ways. I think um, another point I want to have is like, what would an SEC engulfs everyone look like? 
would it be that bad necessarily? Uh, I think it would be really sad for, I, I, sorry to pick on Washington state, but they're the obvious, <laughs> they're the example that probably gets cut out, but maybe, you know, we have 32 teams in a league or something and there's a pod system and Oregon still gets to play Washington every year. Now they play USC and UCLA every year too. And maybe Colorado or, you know, and maybe Utah. Again, um, it's it's easy to even say these things because we're Oregon fans and because Oregon is a brand that's recognized nationally. Like, because we've had relative right. success in the past 20 years. Like, and, and, I would and, be freaking terrified right now if I were an Oregon State fan or a Wazoo fan or a right. West Virginia right. fan. Yeah. Yeah. And, right. And Oregon, yeah. For us, it, I don't think it would even be the worst thing because no, it we would shed the label of, of the Pac-12. Like, imagine if Cristobal could basically say, oh, we compete on the exact same level of, as Alabama. That whole SEC yeah. thing is such a, is like one of the main roadblocks to Oregon not being even more dominant in recruiting as the travel and distance of it all becomes less important to to recruits and families and everything, you know, it's mostly that big label of SEC means you're legitimate and Pac-12 doesn't right now. And if we over, if we just got that same label as everyone else, it would be good for the program. We would recruit yeah, better. Would. We would have better rosters. We would have better, better teams. We'd play bigger games. We'd play bigger games. It would be fine for us. It would, why I'm upset about it is that, like you said, it would be bad for the sport. Yeah. Um, and it would be sad to let go of this history of this conference, which, however frustrating the leadership of the Pac-12 has been recently and frustrating it is that we can't produce a top tier team recently since since Mariota left in the conference in general. Um, I still love this conference. Yeah. You know that it, this is still the what I've been watching football primarily of for my entire life, you know? Yeah. So hopefully there is a way to save it in some capacity that protects those little schools. And, you know, there's something fun still about playing in Pullman, whether or not they're on the same level of us or not, or taking it absolutely as seriously or operating the exact same way as us. It's those things are all still cool. And like you said, you know, for the fans, that's what we care about is, is the histories and traditions and those little conference rivalries and all of that. So yeah, hopefully there's a way to save that, but it's, it's a scary time in the sport and it's, uh, it is serious. This is not just an isolated move where the sec isn't going to go the next step in a few years or sooner. Well, and this is the other thing I was wondering about. Is like, at what point does the SEC stop and just kind of like look around and say, like, you know what, we're at the top and we can stay here for a while? I think you can argue, one might argue that they are already doing that right now. But I mean, once you add Texas and Oklahoma, like, that's it's going to take, it would take like, 30 years of perfect steps for the big 10 to catch up to that. Maybe not 30, maybe like 20 or 10. Even so yeah. they're not going to do it. Nobody's catching the sec as is much less with Texas, Texas and Oklahoma. 
Right. I mean, that's that's what would have to happen is we don't have the money for it, but someone had would have to pay that $150 million, offer to pay that $150 million check to get Oklahoma and Texas out for the coming season. And then they'd have to pray somehow that the SEC wasn't willing to do it. Reed, how much money you got in your bank account right now? <laughs> Let's, I think get, I've let's get this got moving. paid recently, so I'm about <laughs> 300, 400. Maybe. Oh, big baller! Damn. Yeah, but uh, you know, going to Eugene this weekend for SNL, so probably gonna lose a couple hundred of that. So yeah, maybe next payday though, I I could contribute maybe a half half a thousand or something. Okay, yeah, I might be able to match that if I <laughs> stop buying Subway every day. Um, <laughs> Yeah, man, seriously, though, like, Klyavkov, I want to say this is kind of, like, some area that he should be able to do well in as fundraising. Or at I least, like, like him so far. Knowing rich people. Yeah, okay, let's talk about Klyavkov for a little bit. Um, we can kind of segue into media day as we do that. Um, obviously, he's only been here for about a month or so. He had that pretty funny tweet about, like, I'm not sure my, I didn't think my first month could get any crazier. Um, like it's, it's cute and playful, but at the same time, it's kind of like, Oh, so you really didn't know about this. Like, <laughs> right? Oh boy. That's not a good sign. Like, um, I just don't, uh, again, he, he's, he's got the toughest job right now. Well, I was going to say the toughest job in college football. I, I think that's now on, uh, the big 12 commissioner, but, um, yeah, for the next few days here, <laughs> Rolly still has a job. Yeah, well, his job still exists. Um, I like him. Yeah, I like that he's just kind of saying the right things so far. Um, and that it's really sad that that goes a long way. Um, but it does, because Larry Scott would never say anything like this. Um, he would be too busy talking about the success of our Olympic sports programs. Um so yeah, I, I like Klyavkov. Uh, he clearly understands like what the major factors are in creating a good conference. I mean, he's explicitly said multiple times now that football and men's basketball are the targets and that um, his aim is to, quote, get as many playoff teams as we can or get as many t- teams as we can into the playoff. Um so yeah, like USC is going to miss Oregon and Washington in the crossover. Like Oregon won't have to go like you know, have a very difficult schedule. You can call it rigged, but even if it is, like it's for the better of the conference. <laughs> and if you don't like it, then you're probably Washington State or Washington. And you should just right. try and winning games instead <laughs> getting investment buy-in from your community um easy for us to say right since we already have it right. um so yeah Klyavkov, that's basically what he had to say on media days uh as i mentioned earlier he's been reached out to by big some big 12 programs but uh <coughs> oh excuse me oh that's not something that necessarily has to happen oh man um jeez <laughs> uh we can talk about Cristobal's presser a little bit because um, he mentioned that he likes Klyavkov, which uh, obviously is a good thing all around. 
and he dropped a little nugget. I don't know if this was just kind of a, you know, random thing he was searching to say, or it was like he was just getting to the tip of the iceberg of something. But he, he mentioned, Cristobal mentioned that uh, Kliokov, quote, has a plan. I liked that. That gave me hope. Right. Um, because for so long with Larry Scott, we had no sort of plan. Yeah. And, and Cristobal is someone who doesn't give people a break if he feels like they're not doing their job well. I feel like, you know, like he's a pretty serious dude. I, I don't think he would say that lightly necessarily. Although, yeah. you know, he'll, he'll say something positive because he's the new man on the job a little bit, but. But yeah. not anymore though. I mean, I was thinking of your comment in context of like, he never called out Larry Scott, but like he never really like went out of his way to praise Larry Scott. Um, right. Right. And like you said, he was a newer coach at the time. Now he's in year four. So. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, do you want to get into more Cristobal comments or you want to stick with George for a little bit? Uh, we can get into Cristobal. Yeah, that's fine. Um, I just picked out some things that seemed interesting from his yeah. presser. Um, it, it, you know, if you follow the program, none of this stuff is going to be that surprising. But yeah. it's it's yeah. worth mentioning. Yeah, yeah, it's just more like checking things off. Um, list of things you expect to hear. Let's check them off. Uh, it's best off season yet. Uh, the fourth quarter program is up and running, which is the strength and fitness program over the summer. Um, that's up and running. Obviously we did have a, a spring, uh, camp this year as well. So basically what, what I wrote down here is that it basically gives the team less excuses. Um, and it gives us less excuses as media people, um, for the program. I mean, I feel like the lack of spring practice and the lack of, uh, a strength and conditioning program were pretty much our two biggest like points from last year's relative lack of success wouldn't you say it, right and to be honest like it's not like i i want those things you know i felt like last year i i had to mention them because i thought that they were factors in yeah exactly outcomes oh and they definitely but, are that's what mario right. been saying too yeah right but it you know i would much rather have those excuses out of the window and be able to judge the product even if it doesn't go well i would like yeah, to know yeah. that it wasn't because we were hindered by these outside circumstances, but, but because there's actually something in the program that needs to be fixed and then try to pinpoint what is that, not just say, not have COVID as an excuse, even though it was a legitimate one, it's going to be nice to now have this uh, off season that was, you know, went well, was the best off season yet, as he said. Yeah. Um, all right, I'm going to run through three points uh, that I thought were his most important uh, from this interview. Pre press conference, that's what I'm trying to say. Jeez. Uh, yes. Okay. Uh, the first one that's most important, groom, he talked about grooming leadership. Um, he talked about players leading practices, just being general, like grooming guys who will be able to command football teams from the field like from the actual, you know, yeah. inside the field playing the game. Um, that's huge. That's massive. That's awesome. You hear um, that. If you've watched a documentary, read a book, listen to someone who's covered any team that operates at a championship level, yes, especially in yes. college football, you hear stories of that at practice all the time. 100%. That's a very consistent thread, yeah. Also, what, That's also a big part of what helps foster the family community 
type thing that Crystal Ball uses to get all these great recruits. Right. Um, and I mean, I say uses as if it's not like a good thing or something. Like it's real. It's not. It's fake. genuine. Yeah. 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 Um, second point, uh, Anthony Brown will start with the ones in fall camp. Chris Ball made that very clear. Obviously Brown is the presumed number one coming out of spring and, uh, the spring game. So we basically expect that to continue. Have you seen all the, uh, Twitter discussion around that? Oh my God, dude. Yeah, man. Like, <laughs> like this is the kind of crap that like, how do you not find something more relevant to talk about? I don't know. I I, I just, I didn't even engage in that sort of stuff. It was yeah. just like asinine. I think he can be good, but l- I think let's just see how he plays. Yeah, I don't, think there's, like, there's, I don't think there's really a point putting a ceiling on somebody, um, especially in a sport as volatile as college football. Right, and it's been a few years since we've seen him, and it's a new system, and I don't know. It's, we, we had really good, I mean, I love Darren Thomas. We had really good teams with Darren Thomas as yes, quarterback. Yes, yes really good teams like Anthony Brown is not he's thrown a football before he looked fine in his games was there could he be a little more accurate a little more dynamic yeah but like let's see how it goes I don't think we nobody's giving you a trophy for correctly predicting if he's bad or good right nobody cares right um Okay, the third thing that uh, was probably the biggest takeaway for a lot of people from this presser was uh, he specifically mentioned Byron Cardwell and Seven McGee in the backfield, um, saying that they'll help right away and that they're elite talent. Obviously, the elite talent part's not a surprise, but um, I don't know. I mean, I think we still kind of expect Verdell and Die to be the one-two in the backfield, um, but throwing... It's nice to have confirmation that Cardwell and McGee can play roles. Um, right. And that they're improving steadily. Yeah. I mean, I think those are two guys who could, especially Seven McGee, who's like, was a borderline five-star last time he was consistently playing high school football. If he is really that level and can pr- provide those explosion plays for us, that can shift games. You know, we've seen mm-hmm. that in the past. There's he wants obviously... to be the next DeAnthony. <laughs> right, yeah. He certainly and, looks the part from a body type standpoint. We've seen, like, those just getting in college football with the, just getting that one 70-yard touchdown in a big game shifts everything if you can get it. I mean, there's a bunch of those throughout history. Dat had a few of them in the, in the Rose Bowl. Uh, Michael Bowl. had his at Tennessee. <laughs> Well, he had the he had the one in the Fiesta Bowl too, but he had. Oh, yeah, the, I'm just uh, talking kickoff return. That's a momentum yeah. shifting play right there. Right, for sure. I mean, that set the tone for the entire. Like the game was over. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> Ten, like twelve seconds in. Yeah. Right, but it, you know, if if seven can deliver one or two of those plays, I mean, even like Mikhail Wright's kick returns, if he is a kick returner, which it sounds like there's a chance he could be. Um, yeah, Mario mentioned seven about. Uh, mentioned about seven that he'll probably play some special teams as well. So I'm assuming that means returner. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't look like much of a blocker. <laughs> um, yeah, but that's interesting. It, it would obviously be big if seven stepped up and would add another dynamic to this offense, I think for sure. Yeah. Byron as well. I mean, Byron's more traditional right. running back type uh, with his body, but um, yeah, I, the, the reason I say that just to be clear is that, I think that C.J. Verdell 
and Travis Dye kind of have a little more of a hold on the traditional running back spot that Byron yeah, would fill yeah. into, whereas Seven is a little more of a Swiss Army knife that could be used in the slot a bit or be given touch carries in certain spots or screens or something. Um, more like a DeAnthony Thomas. And that kind of player we don't exactly have on the roster. Yeah. Uh, the last part about this I would like to mention is that uh, he said Cardwell was 215 already. Yeah. Um, for reference, that's that's a little bit higher than both Verdell and Die, who are sitting around the low 200s. Um, not by much, but I mean, Cardwell's a freshman, dude. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's a dude. That could be a dude. In a oh yes, yeah. big time. Or now, yeah. yeah, yeah. Maybe he is a dude. Maybe he's the next Lamichael, waiting behind established guys to just break out and have a great season. Um, he, Mario was also asked about like the Texas pipeline. Um, and if there was anything specific that contributed to that, uh, also the Arizona pipeline. And I mean, he gave a very generic, but genuine answer of like, this has come from, this is, uh, these are results of like building relationships throughout the years in recruiting. Um, right. Like it is kind of a coincidence that we have so many Texas recruits in the 2022 class. Um, like it's not something they planned for necessarily, or that they like, it's something they hoped for, but not necessarily like, oh, the grand scheme was to get exactly, like, 14 recruits from the state of Texas in this time span. Like, no, that just that stuff just happens. Right, totally. A couple other mixed notes. Uh, offensive line will probably be more rotation-like. How do I say that? Rotative? Rotational. Uh, rotational. That's a good word for it. Um, this upcoming year, as it was last year, uh... I, I don't think that'll be a shock to anyone who's been paying attention to that sort of thing. Um, that's, and that, oh, and basically that, you know, he wants people to be able to play different positions along the line. Again, not surprising at all. So, yeah. was there anything else you took away from, from this Mario press conference? Not really, no, personally. Um, this stuff's interesting. Uh, I think the seven McGee and Byron Cardwell mentioned was the thing that most I was like, Oh, I didn't know I would hear that. Everything else he pretty much expected when he was asked the question. Um, but it's still fun to give a listen to it, obviously, but it, uh, nothing groundbreaking we learned really, you know? Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, couple final notes, things we might be excited about. Um, another sort of box checking item is that, uh, the PAC 12 media voted on or not voted, gave their respective predictions for PAC 12 champion this year as no surprise. It's USC from the South, Oregon from the North. They predict Oregon will win the conference. Um, Oregon got 38 of 40 votes in the North, I think, which was pretty surprising. That is actually a little surprising. Um, I'm assuming the other two went to UW. Yeah. Yeah. But. Uh, you know, I think I think Oregon's going to win the North. Not that I think it's weird that anyone predicted that, but that it was that big of a consensus was a little surprising. I thought, and I think we got twenty-seven of forty to win overall. Yeah, I think that that's validation that we are like expected to win the North, not just that we are most likely to win the North. Um, yeah. So maybe a little bit Which of is- goalpost shift, but not really. Right. Because Mario's been saying this for years now. Um, 
All right, let's get to what we really wanted to talk about all day. <laughs> um, we're getting new uniforms, baby. That's always fun. Yeah, that's the that's all we really care about as Oregon fans, pretty much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who cares about the future of the sport? Who needs national championships? You have ten thousand uniform combinations. Um, Nick Pickett kind of uh, said this on Twitter, and Jay Hop confirmed it today in the Juice um, on Scoop Duck. So yeah, I'm excited to see what that'll look like. Um, yeah, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> we don't know what they look like, so we can't really talk about them yet. Yeah, um, the the ducks. Oh right, yeah, the duck. teasing <laughs> something. Oh, the duck. Um, you the mean ducks... puddles? His name is Puddles. Reed. <laughs> Damn it. Um, has been teasing something on Twitter that we assume is uniforms. It seems like that's supposed to come out. I think it's Monday. Yeah. Uh, August second. So that's super exciting. Um. Yeah, I mean, we yeah. don't know. What the, yeah, we again, don't, I, I'm trying to search for something to say about this. I, I have no idea what the uniforms look like. I've heard some people say throwbacks. That'd be cool. That'd uh, be really sick. Some more of the pick throwbacks. I would love to get a second chance to buy those because I didn't buy it the first time. Yeah. And that would be a – I'm kind of in the market for a new Oregon jersey, I think. Mm. So I'm extra excited because I think I'll probably buy one of the ones that comes out this year. Yeah, I only got two right now, and one's like the, uh, I want to say like 2015 era, like Alamo Bowl white, with like the different colored wings. Those are kind of cool. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I got the black Mariota jersey from the, uh, I hate Uh to say the Stanford game that we lost, but that's the immediate one that comes to mind. Um, Oh, that one. Okay, yeah. Yeah, it's black. They're both number eight, so, you know. It'd be cool to get like a, a throwback one or just we'll see what these new ones look like. I'm sure they'll be good though. Yeah, I have two. I have a I have a um green and a yellow Mario one. Oh, the yellow ones from are like nice. 2013. My brother's yeah. got one of those. Yeah. Um Okay. SNL. Let's talk. Let's talk Saturday Night Live. Hopefully we'll both be down here. Um to be in attendance if that's a thing we can't really find any information about it yeah it's been super quiet but it seems like it's a thing uh from the lit from the little stuff i've heard i think that it's i think that fans are going to be in attendance but i don't know it's been super quiet yeah, yeah. it's definitely happening that's for sure um yeah, scoop duck put together is has a great uh kind of all-inclusive list of who's going which is always helpful because i can it's hard to pull it from all these different sources and stuff. Um, a lot of tw- mostly 2022 recruits, uh, some 2023 guys, actually kind of a lot of 2023 guys. Um, and then a few, a handful of 2024s. Um, if you don't know what we're talking about, Saturday Night Live is the, uh, was it started under Taggart or is this a crystal ball thing? I think it was started under Taggart. Okay. Yeah. It's basically like you get a bunch of recruits together and like have them scrimmage and practice and do cool stuff on it's in Austin with fans. Yeah. It's Oregon's signature recruiting event outside of the spring game. Um, and so it's, I mean, it's just a big thing where a bunch of the most talented high school players who Oregon has, mostly offered or as recruiting in some capacity come to Austin and do drills in front of fans and it builds a ton of momentum. Um, 
I mean, provides a, they all feel what it's like to be in Austin, to be at Oregon together. They're around a bunch of other talented players. So maybe they talk about teaming up, teaming up at Oregon, hopefully for the staff. Um, Family building. So it's pretty cool. And sometimes, sometimes some commitments come out of it. So that'd be cool as well. Um, And yeah, I don't know if I would say I'm confident that there will be one coming out of it, but I think it's definitely a, a strong or solid possibility. Out so, of uh, yeah, it should be interesting. Out of the the big long list of names, who are you most excited to see at SNL? Um, I'm. I mean, I'm excited to see all of them. I think that I'm excited to see um, the Jaleels Damn it, from. Dude, I was literally gonna say that. From San Diego, I think that those are the two that are a bit. Uh, are are some of the biggest targets left in the class um so that's a big deal you know uh to see them in person and we don't really have a a cornerback commit yet this class i mean we literally do not Mm -hmm. so we need to i mean landing them is a pretty big deal i don't know if you saw but zeke barry another uh Mm -hmm. cornerback safety prospect committed to arizona which was really interesting uh over the last weekend Mm-hmm. made me feel a little better about the future of Arizona, yeah. but um, that'll be exciting. And then the other one is, is uh, seeing uh, Kelvin Banks in person. Yeah. Well, that's going to be too. pretty cool. Like <laughs> it, hopefully he's going to be super legit. I don't know if you saw, but also there was some positive buzz uh, for Oregon for a five-star in 2023. Did you see that? I did not No. Uh, Biggins just interviewed this guy. Oh God, this is embarrassing. I'm, I'm forgetting the name off the top of my head. One second. Um, he interviewed this guy who's a top 10 player, uh, in the nation in 2023. Um, Owens. No, no, not Ruben Owens. It's a offensive lineman. Uh, let me pull this up real quick. Sorry. I'll just say, I'm excited to see Cyrus Moss as well, uh, even though he's a 2022 name. Um, yes, yeah, that's right. Cyrus Moss is, I mean, that's the other big target, I think, that's also out there that's going to be a, yeah, a really yeah. Um, important target for the rest of the class. Like that, I think judging the success of the future, mainly if we can get um, Cyrus and the two Jaleels, I think will be in a pretty good spot. And I feel confident that we can build some other stuff around them. But those are three guys who are really crucial, who don't exactly have another guy right behind them, who I think can fill in that role. Um, the guy was Francis Malagoa. Mm. Mm. Offensive tackle out of IMG down in uh, Lauda. Lauda. <laughs> yeah. Um so he's he's number four right now in 2023, and wow. apparently, and Biggins did an article. You can check that out on two four seven. Um. So yeah. Uh. What else we got? Anything else? Uh, TC Manumeluna. Uh, just because he's <laughs> an in-state kid and a QB. Um, give me a few years to to get that pronunciation down, but that's pretty much all I got. Yeah, that'd be cool. He's been a um, I think he's maybe cousins of uh DJ Uyunglele. Oh, that'd be cool. Oh, that, um, that is cool. 
Yeah. So I think people have, he's been, I mean, in state, I think he likes, he said he likes the Oregon program a lot and stuff. So hopefully if he, Oregon's been kind of involved for a while and he's 2024, but if he developed into like a top, top tier player, that'd be super cool to have watched the development for that long stretch of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. Um, anything else to say about SNL realignment media day? We covered a lot. <laughs> I think we covered a lot, man. Um, yeah, hopefully it was interesting. I hope that the realignment talk wasn't, I don't know. I know some people are getting tired of it. It's been such a topic and it's a bit scary. I know I'm getting tired of it. <laughs> but I think we had stuff to say and I think hopefully yeah. we brought a fresh perspective to it a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Um, don't, like, sorry if we were a little rude at times, especially me. <laughs> <laughs> Just do your homework before you spew out ideas onto Twitter. Yeah, I, loved, I have, I have a, such a love-hate relationship with Twitter. Like, I think it's yeah. cool that that you're able to interact with people so easily. But then when you just see people's takes that you just know, they just like came up with during their car ride, like after like during their lunch break, reading (laughs) one tweet. Yeah. Yeah. And then it's just like, okay. And then you see other people like it and you're just like, literally read any piece of credible reporting on what's going on. And it will just completely disprove this theory. Yeah. Or like or just like the idea of this being good or this opinion or whatever. Yeah. Uh, the other part is like a lot of times people will just latch on to like the first idea they get just so they can have a take and defend a take. Um, don't do that. Like, come on. Right. People who aren't Be able to admit in, you're wrong. In, yeah, right. Exactly. Um, which, by the way, the more and more I think about it, the more and more I... I like the more this stuff changes, the more I'm kind of on board with you with the uh, lack of expansion in the playoff. Um, I still think let's go. I just a little bit. All right. Don't get too hyped up, but um, I mean, I still think eight kind of would, would have been the way to go, but it's all like screwed now. I don't know what, (laughs) I don't know what's up and down and sideways in college football right now. Yeah, we mentioned it a little bit, though. Like, Dabo, I don't know if you heard, but he had a big soundbite about how some of his players didn't really love the idea of 12. Um, Dude, I don't even put stock in what Dabo says to the media anymore. He's such a clown. Like, No doubt, no doubt. He, he literally just says stuff. Like, Dabo is still riding the, um, the underdog, like, right. s- story when they haven't had a competent challenger in the ACC you couldn't even call Notre Dame a competent challenger (laughs) like I don't know well I don't know about that what was the score of that title game but they uh but they beat them in the regular season Arizona beat us in the regular season when we went to the natty in the playoff yeah yeah I know that's 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 kind of what I equate that to like severely injured team versus you know upstart but Arizona's never made a playoff before. Okay, dude. Like, does Notre Dame <laughs> did Notre Dame deserve to make the play? Let's let's debate that another time. Um, <laughs> anyway, I it's just a different in categorization. Yeah, well, it's yeah. not like I think Notre Dame was a national, t- a legitimate national title threat last year. But 
like but that's man. that's kind of why I'm a little yeah. bit on board with you now is because like I don't really care if like oh that's the problem though is like I do care if if a 2011 Oregon gets screwed over or something like that like or a one loss like I just can't get past those great one loss Oregon teams obviously that not being 2011 they would have made they all would have made it in four though that's what I'm saying in four but not in two I'm against the going backwards I don't I don't know if we should go back to two no I like four, four is what I think it should be I think four is fine yeah let's go let's I think go four is okay I win let's go sure Reed wins <laughs> we all we all lose though really um Oregon less so than others, probably. But again, are you an Oregon fan? Are you a Pac-12 fan? Or are you a college football fan? I'm an Oregon fan, first and foremost. But man, it is it is hard not to look at what's going on around college football and being very disappointed. Right. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm an Oregon fan, but I'm a fan of all three. So yeah. it's it's sad to see it like for it all, two. It all just boils down to greed. And that sucks. Yeah. Um, all right, sweet. Thank you all for listening. Please rate us and all that jazz. Uh, we're on Twitter at uh, folkstead 3 and at MF Reed, under, MF underscore Reed. We do have a new Twitter account as well. Uh, oh, jeez. That is not ready for launch. That is not ready for launch. <laughs> at DuckSpod. If you made it this far, leave us a follow. That's how we'll know. We'll remember I don't forever. even think we have a profile picture on there yet no we don't but we promise we'll do that eventually um all right thank you all for listening yeah goodbye go ducks go ducks